My name is Pedro Mujabafid, and we at TMC aim to discuss and inform students regarding topics which aren't covered well in medical school. This interview series is aimed at answering the questions that medical students, interns and doctors-to-be have regarding the various career pathways for medical graduates. Now, the views and opinions expressed here are purely personal and are not reflective or representative of the stance of any employer, college, medical service, endorsement or other person. Alright, let's start the show. Hi everyone, today we're discussing pathology with Dr. Tarini Fernando, who is a senior pathology registrar. Hi Tarini, thanks for joining us. Hi. Can you start by telling us a little bit about your journey through medical school and where you've gotten to today? Sure, so I started medical school in Adelaide actually at the University of Adelaide and I first came into contact with pathology as a profession in my um, my sixth year we did uh, we had the choice of doing electives and I did forensic pathology and I was really quite interested in it and that was then that I decided that I wanted to do pathology. I actually started off first of all wanting to do forensics but unfortunately in Victoria you have to do AP so um, that's how I got into AP pathology training. Sure. So when did you move down to Melbourne or down to Victoria? Were you, are you originally from Melbourne or are you originally from Adelaide? Yeah, so I'm originally from Victoria. I went to Adelaide to do medicine. Um, so I moved back to Victoria um, to do internship and um, at the Ossetan Northern, I was able to do, um, I think, one rotation at um, VIFM in the city. So that was um, combined um, forensic pathology and clinical pathology. So that was really good and that really helped me, I think, in being prepared for pathology training. And what pulled you towards pathology? What was it about pathology that was so intriguing for you? Um, I just really liked, um, I guess, our histology and pathology anatomy sessions. Um, so in Adelaide Medical School, um, the first three years, um, we spent a lot of time in the anatomy lab and we had um, like a pathpot museum and I always found myself drawn back to the pathpot museum. I always did a lot of study there. So it just kind of made sense, really. <laughs> and was there anything else that you considered along the way that was, I guess, pushed out to make way for pathology or were you always eyes on pathology? Um, so I thought about surgery because I liked using my hands. Um, I thought about surge, um, psychiatry, which may sound odd, but it's, I really like um, psychiatry for some reason. Uh, I think the problem-solving aspect of psychiatry I liked. Um, but I think pathology is a good mix of... Um, like problem solving and um, academic and I guess I like pattern recognition and there's a lot of that in pathology. Sure. Have you done any time uh, overseas or any time interstate in, as part of your pathology program? Uh, no, no I haven't. I'm not aware if you can do that because um, once you are part of a training program for that state generally you have to stay in that training program. Um, yeah, I'm not aware of other registrars doing that. Sure. And how important do you think other education is with regards to pathology? So uh, uh, in terms of, for example, research, doing a lot of research prior to getting in, or does that kind of thing help you, or do you just pick it up along the way? Uh, research. So people come from all sorts of backgrounds into pathology. There's a lot of people who come from different specialties, so like surgeons, um, GP trainees, and there are, there are people like me who come straight from internship or from res residency. I wouldn't say research is a prerequisite, but um, I think having done, having spent some time in pathology, it, 
would definitely prepare you because it's such a different world compared to any of the other specialties and most I think most doctors actually have really very little or no understanding of what happens in pathology so I would say if you're interested in following a career in pathology try to get some time even if it's just forensics like what I did or if you are lucky enough to get a some time in AP I would recommend I will really recommend that um, I published a few papers before I got into um, AP training um, I suppose that sort of prepares you for the um, the intensive uh, like there's a lot of reading a lot of theoretical knowledge that you have to pick up so I guess that might help but I wouldn't say it's a prerequisite sure great If there's any doctors you'd like us to interview, or if there's any questions you'd like asked, please shoot us a message. We listen and respond to every single message that comes through. Can you tell us a bit, a little bit about the pathways that are available for getting into pathology and whether you believe one way to be better than another? Sure, so pathology is a very broad umbrella term, I guess, for this specialty. So there's um, anatomical pathology, which is what I am. There's forensic pathology, there is chemical pathology, molecular pathology, and I think also we include the hematologists as well in pathology. Um, so, and there's, there's also general pathology. So I can probably only really speak about AP training. So for AP training, I think at the moment you need at least two years um, post-grad before you can apply for training. So like in your second year of residency, um, I was lucky enough to get in from internship, but I think the the criteria has changed. You need your BPS. Um, it's not a prerequisite, but it's the um, it's getting more competitive these days. So I would say I recommend that everybody has their BPS before they turn up for the interview. What is the BPS? Uh, basic Pathological Sciences exam. Sure. Um, having spent some time in AP or any branch of pathology is always looked upon favorably. And it actually shows that you've taken some initiative to actually find out about the specialty that you want to spend the rest of your life in. Um, other than that, I wouldn't say that there's anything else really. So you mentioned there's different branches of pathology mm. that you can go into. Uh, where did these other different branches work? So for example, you yeah. yourself doing AP, you're in the uh, major tertiary hospital working in the hospital system. What are the, where are the others working? Are they also in hospitals or? Yeah, so in the lab, um, most, of, most of the specialties that I mentioned, we would all generally work together, depending on the, obviously the size of the lab and the size of the hospital. Um, so they're all part of the, um, the pathology laboratory that is in your public hospital. There's also private labs. Um, so a couple of companies like Dorovich um, HealthScope, they also, um, you can also be employed um, by these employers and they're, they're not um, necessarily affiliated with an actual public hospital. So you're working in their actual private lab. And does the work differ greatly between you all or are you all, I guess, doing very quite similar things with a small specialty? Um, so AP training is focused on tissue diagnosis. Um, so we deal with um, surgical specimens. Um, so obviously hematology is um, blood, um, microbiology is organisms and um, molecular is molecular and general um, kind of you kind of specialize in a little bit of everything for with general. 
Um, yeah. How competitive would you say it is to get into pathology at the moment? So for AP, it seems when I speak to newly, um, like first years and second years, it feels like the interview process is becoming a lot more strict and more stringent. Back in my day, it felt a lot more relaxed. Um, whereas now they expect there's like a proper almost like a mini exam that you have to sit when you go for your interview so you need to have actually read up on histology you know basic histology maybe even some basic pathology to be able to uh, fulfill your exam uh, sorry your interview whereas back in my day it was just a very basic um, panel and they just asked very generic questions there was no histology no pathology involved in the actual interview the general consensus seems to be at the moment that all medical specialties are becoming increasingly difficult to get into, and that's probably due to the number of medical students coming out. How would you rate the difficulty of getting into pathology compared to other specialties? Yeah, that's a hard question because I've never tried any other specialty. Um, I think in my year, there were maybe 20 maybe 20 to 50 applicants for Victoria, and they had a short list of about 13 for the interview. Uh, I felt like there was a lot of difficulty for me coming straight from internship. I felt a lot of resistance from a lot of um, hospitals that they weren't keen on someone who was so junior. I think definitely if you're more senior, like if you've come from like another specialty like surgery or something like that, you would have the upper hand in the interview situation, application situation. I didn't feel like it was as competitive as, say, something like orthopedics or radiology, for example. I've seen a lot of people like struggle for years to get into those specialties. I feel like pathology is definitely uh, less intensive in terms of the application process, and I didn't feel that it was as hard to get into pathology training. Are you saying that you'd recommend maybe doing a few years as a junior doctor to kind of build up your experience on that that's looked upon favorably when you go for your uh, pathology? Yeah, it depends if you're the kind of person who knows exactly what they want to do with their life. When you finish, like for me, I knew very early, this is what I want to do. I don't want to do anything else. But if you're not sure I would, and you think you might like pathology, I would say probably wait until your second year, until you've actually probably experienced other specialties to their fullest and can decide that that's what you want to do. Sure. At the moment, uh, as a senior registrar, what does your typical day involve? Sure. So we have a roster, um, which, so at the moment we have um, four full-time positions. And um, so we have a roster and, sorry, three full-time positions. And um, every day there's somebody rostered for the cut-up of surgical specimens. So we do mainly the large specimens, so like large organs, so like kidneys, bladders, bowels, uteruses, placentas. So we'll cut those up. So specimens tend to arrive um, the night before, or sometimes there are also runs, theatre runs during the morning, which we collect all the specimens from theatre. So they're all um, processed, and then we cut those specimens and... Um, that usually takes the whole day. So there can be very heavy days where we can't finish our work and then the work carries over to the next day. Um, some days are quiet and we might finish by like three o'clock. Um, on the days that we're not doing cut up, we're reporting. So we're looking at the actual slides um, from the blocks that we have made the day before. And then we're doing the actual diagnosing 
aspect. There's essentially a uh, two-person team where one person will have cut the specimen yes. the day before yep. and then the other person the next day will do the diagnosis. Yes, correct. Aside from the cutting and the diagnosis, is there any other roles that you are, are regularly involved in? Uh, so it varies from hospital to hospital, but you might be involved in things like doing FNAs, um, teaching, teaching of medical students, teaching of other um, medical professions like nurses. Um, we do MDMs. Um, you tend to do that when you're a bit more senior. So um, intra-departmental meetings and um, MDMs. Uh, I guess can be involved in research if you work for a big enough public hospital you can be involved in that sort of thing how closely do you work with the other specialties because obviously all specialties require uh, pathology input for a lot of their uh, conditions that they manage but Mm. how how closely do you work with them is it just that they send up a specimen and you essentially just report back or is there a conversation that goes on regularly uh you sort of i guess you kind of interact with most surgical specialties to some degree, whether it's from the cut-up bench, if you have a question like why haven't they sent this specimen, there's not enough clinical notes, you'll ring up the registrar or the consultant. Um, Sometimes the histological diagnosis is not what the clinicians were expecting. Like for example, if they send you um, curettings and they they weren't suspecting a carcinoma and then you diagnose an adenocarcinoma, that's something that the clinicians probably need to know. So you might ring them and have a discussion. Um, at MDMs, you can often be involved in dis- um, in length discussions about if they have any queries about your, the diagnosis, any questions. Um, I wouldn't say we're as involved as uh, obviously as other specialists because we're not on the wards, but um, we're fairly. I would say we're fairly involved. Sure. What do you see to be the most rewarding part about your specialty? Uh, I guess I like the academic side of pathology. I really enjoy reading my textbooks like I love reading and I love the fact that I can diagnose something like I'm making this diagnosis like I like that that aspect of what I do and there's a lot of scope for I guess you can be more academic I guess if you like you can go into research or you can be more clinical um I like to teach I like teaching and there's great scope for teaching in pathology um yeah and conversely, what part of the specialty do you struggle with the most? I think when I, st- um, when I started as a first year, just the sheer volume of knowledge that you had to know because you, it's not like, say, you know, internship, you can, you know, assist in theatre and then when you go into surgical training, you have some idea of what you're doing. Pathology, you have no idea when you start because it's completely foreign. You, you, can't really, you can't really be involved in pathology until you're an actual pathology registrar which is a shame but um so it's a complete culture shock um and just the sheer volume like you're always learning like even now like I feel like I'm just you know just the tip of the iceberg in terms of my knowledge I just feel like I'm just I'm just safe you know I'm safe now to make a diagnosis but I'm by no means at the top of my knowledge so to circumvent that Mm. uh, if someone doesn't want to be one doesn't want to feel like as though they've been thrown into the ocean as soon as mm. they get into pathology training. Mm. Is there something that we can do either as medical students or junior doctors to get a little bit more experience or is that is is there really no way of doing it and everyone has to go through that initiation? 
Yeah, it's kind of, you kind of have to go through like the, it's unavoidable, but I guess it depends how, how much of pathology and histology you incorporated into your learning as a medical student, I guess will determine like how, you, what your baseline is <laughs> before you start pathology training. But I mean, it's not insurmountable, but I guess if you have a keen interest from early on, I would say focus on that. Like if you have access to PathPots, go and have a look at them. Read Robbins, read, there's a lot of textbooks online. Get a hold of them, just read them. Have a look at histology images online. There's so, so many resources available online that you don't have to be a member of anything. You don't have to pay a lot of free online resources. And that's, that's where I would say where that's a good place to start. How do you see the field changing or your work or your role changing in the next five to 10 years? My role? Well, my role will, as a, as a registrar, will change very soon because I'll be starting work as a consultant. Um, I think first year as a consultant, maybe even the first two years are probably the most scariest and the most difficult because it's a very big transition from registrar to consultant. In pathology because you have no responsive well you have responsibility as a registrar but you don't have um you your name is not the only name on the bottom line you always have a, like a senior you always have your consultants to back you up whereas when you're a consultant you're the one that's it it's your name at the bottom line so i guess taking that responsibility is a bit of a like a sort of psychological challenge um, and also the workload is different. You don't do cut up anymore. You're just doing hist- um, histology, pathology the whole time. And then I guess having the responsibility also of teaching the registrars that now becomes your job as a consultant. And I guess learning to juggle all of those things is probably the most difficult thing. At the moment, uh, once you do become a consultant, are there jobs readily available in terms of like a uh, a 1.0 full-time equivalent or is it that you might have to get like little fragments of jobs around everywhere yeah it's looking like the job market is fairly tight um full-time jobs it sort of comes and goes in waves the availability of jobs i wouldn't say that there are no jobs but at certain times it looks like there are no jobs available um sometimes if you just have to hang in there and you'll find something my advice would be if a job turn if a job comes up, just take it and just see where it heads. Um, I wouldn't say no to any job, especially as a junior consultant. Um, you're not really you don't really have a leg to stand on really. Um, if you can only get a part time position, take that. If you can only get one day a week, take that. And a lot of pathologists are actually working in different hospitals, different labs, you know, private and public. In terms of uh, what the specialty does in itself. Do you see that changing in the next five to ten years? Yes, I think so. I think there's a lot more molecular now. Molecular is becoming very popular. Um, molecular pathology as a part of our daily routine um, pathology is definitely playing more of a role. Sure. Great. Please make sure to complete the survey for this episode. We want to make sure the episodes are as useful as possible and the surveys help us to monitor whether they're making an impact on our fellow peers. It only takes 30 seconds and it helps more than you can imagine. The link can be found on our Facebook and our blog.
How would you say your work-life balance is as a pathologist? I would say as a registrar, it's fairly poor. <laughs> and I think um, it's just the nature of the job. You have to be quite devoted to your training because there are so many exams in pathology, unfortunately. Um, if I had to count, so there's um, BPS at the beginning, there's part one and part two. So part one consists of two exams, which you do in the same year, and you have to pass both to progress to your part twos. So part two exams consists of um, the small biopsy and the cytology component. And then there is your final uh, slide exam, which you sit in your last year of training, which is your fifth year usually. And then once you've passed that, you can sit your viva. So viva is usually done, say, um, end of August in your final year of training. And then there's also your PPD portfolio, which you complete during your five years of training. So it's fairly involved. Oh, it's probably the specialty with the most number of exams, I would say. Maybe radiology comes close. Hematology comes close. Um, so it's kind of, you have to keep the ball rolling the whole time. It's fairly intense. But I think it, it has to be that way because it's, you have to learn a lot of information in a fairly short time, five years. Um, so I would say it's difficult and you, yeah, you, you struggle to keep up with um, social life. How do you, it sounds like a lot of exams and a mm. lot of assessment to go through. How do you manage all of that? Mm. It seems like, uh, like you say, it, is, it does seem like it's more than a lot of other specialties. Mm. Um, is, there, is there a lot of burnout in pathology? Yeah, definitely. I think um, like me and my group, my study group, we were definitely feeling quite burnt out getting towards our viva. Because it's, um, it's like you sit your exam in May, you wait about six weeks, and then you have to start studying immediately for your viva, which is about like four weeks after you find out your results. So it's fairly intensive and you're feeling fairly exhausted by the end of it. I think having a study group, that's where having a study group is quite good because you give each other, not only do you teach each other, but you also give each other moral support. It's nice to know that somebody else is suffering with you at the same time. Yeah, of course. Now, you mentioned that your social life kind of takes a hit. Mm, mm. Um, is that across the whole five years or is that only just coming up to exam time, like the last couple of months? Yeah, look, um, for me, um, it was a bit difficult because often in your first year, you get uh, put in a rural location. So if you're obviously not from a rural background, um, you're in a place which is um, foreign to you and it can be quite difficult, um, say if you live in Melbourne, to drive back every week, that sort of thing. So depending where you work, um, social social life can be quite difficult to maintain. Um, so for the first few years, there's no exams. So they're probably the easiest, I guess. Um, and then the last three are probably the hardest because that's where all your exams are. Bunched up. Into, yeah. Yeah. And is that just, it, does everyone feel the same way? Like you said, you've got a lot mm. of friends who can uh, help you help you get through that mentally. Mm. Um, is there, do you, have you seen any adverse effects from that? Look. So I, I guess what I'm much. trying to get at, like mental health is a really yes. big thing in uh, medical school and the whole yeah. Uh, idea of burning out and having to work yourself so hard to achieve something mm. to become like that consultant and at the end of the day is it worth your mental health 
and we all mm. need really good uh, strategies to cope with mental health. Mm. Are you provided with those strategies? Mm. Is there a big emphasis on your mental health or is it kind of just a, uh, I guess you're just expected to make it through? I think there's a lot of you just expected to make it through. But that being said, it the support that you receive is very individual to your workplace. Like, for example, where I work at the moment, I feel like I have a lot of support, a lot of teaching, um, a lot of space to just um, like organize my day to, I don't feel like I'm under a lot of pressure to do work and study. I feel like I'm given the space to study when I need to. It's not always like that though. Um, and I think where I see people get really burnt out is people who fail like multiple times. I've, I have um, I have seen colleagues struggle a lot um, after failing exams. And I also have failed one of, my, one of my exams as well. And I found that the most challenging actually. I think failure is something you're not used to. Like you're, everybody in medicine is quite used to being high achievers. And I think dealing with failure is something that is, it's healthy actually to be able to take a knock and then build yourself back up. I 100% agree. I think yeah. as people coming into medicine, as medical students, whether you're undergraduate or postgraduate, you're used to being top of the class. Yeah. You're used to being smarter than most, if not everyone else. Then you kind of come into an environment where everyone is smart and eventually uh, you get to a point where you're no, no longer the smartest. And that's yeah. really difficult to deal with. And for people that haven't dealt with failure, yeah. if you are met with failure late in your career, mm. that can be really devastating because yeah. you've not learned how to deal with it. How to cope with failure. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. So it's, I, feel as almost, I feel almost as though it's better to deal with failure quite early on. Mm. So you have those mechanisms and you can you know, draw upon your previous experiences where if you've, for example, if the first thing you fail is your last exam mm. in Viva, you're going to be quite traumatized. Yes, you'll be quite traumatized, yes. Uh, what are your working hours like at the moment? Uh, so I'm paid technically for 8.6 hours a day. Um, yeah, I roughly work about that. Um, look, here at Box Hill, uh, machines have to be on by 5 o'clock. So technically, we finish at 5 because the machines can't go on any later than that. I've worked in other places where the machines can go on as late as 9 o'clock at night. And if the workload is so heavy, sometimes you're there till nine o'clock at night. That's really extreme. But again, it just depends where you work. Sometimes some of the private labs can push you a bit harder. Um, so it's very individual, but I would say average nine to five, 8.30 to five, depending if you have tutes starting earlier, to, depending if you have like meetings that start earlier. But it's really, um, I would say it's fairly regular. Like there's no weekend work unless you volunteer to do weekend cut up. There's no public holidays. Is there any overtime or just cover at all as a registrar? As a registrar, no. Okay. So, but as a consultant, once you're in that level, then you are expected. Sure. What are the incentives for going into private work besides, I guess, the increased remuneration? Private. Hmm. I guess at the moment it's easier to get a job in private than it is in public. So why do you think that is? I think it's just there's more jobs, just okay. the sheer volume of jobs. There's just more of them in private, and when I say private, as in a privately owned lab. So privately owned labs can be um, standalone labs, or they can be those in a public hospital owned by a private company. For example, Frankston Frankston Hospital Lab is owned by Dorovich. 
Uh, Traugen is owned by Dorovich. Um, there are probably others like Ballarat, base hospital is owned by Dorovich. Same with other private labs. So you may be working in a public hospital, but you're technically paid by a private company. Yeah. Is it more, uh, are people more inclined to want to work in a public hospital? I think, um, I think in a private hospital, uh, sorry, in a public hospital, there's a lot more uh, chance to be involved in research, in teaching. I think um, obviously there's the benefits of things like salary packaging um, and maybe less workload. Sure. So it's essentially doing less, uh, less workload in the public hospital system. Um, which is quite favourable, I guess, especially yeah. with what you're saying, because you're you're currently in a public hospital system. You're saying the workload's quite high already. Yes, um, really depends on the hospital you work at. But my impression, having worked in both a private lab and public hospital, is that in a in a private lab you tend to be worked a lot harder um, than in a say a public hospital. Sure. What kind of people do you think should be going for pathology? Or if it's easy to answer, what kind of people aren't suited to pathology? Oh, that's a difficult question. I guess um, pathology is a very, you have to be dedicated. You have to be dedicated and you have to be sure that this is what you want. Um, I would say pathology is suited to people who are able to work on their own, um, that they're happy to work on their own. And because there's not as much... Um, I guess that it's not as social as clinical clinical work. You spend a lot of time in your office and then depending on the department, um, some departments are more interactive than others. But I would say if you don't feel like you can be isolated, then the sort of um, profession is not for you. Because I, I imagine three or five years of training, you would be moving around. And so there would be places that you go where you are quite isolated yes. and other places that you go where you're quite interactive. Yes. So you need to be able to deal with both. Yes, correct. Was the, uh, so I guess as a pathologist, there's not that much patient interaction that you get. Was that a, uh, was that something that you were seeking yourself or was that just, I guess, something that you had to uh, accept going into something that you loved so much? Look, um, patient interaction wasn't something that I was particularly fixed on. I was more interested in something that I was passionate about and something that I could see myself doing long term. And I think as a female, pathology is perhaps one of those specialties where it can be a bit more flexible as a female in terms of maternity leave, working part time, being able to come back to working after being away for a long time. It seems to be a bit more flexible in pathology, not to say that it's easy by any means, but I could see myself doing this for a very long time. For uh, uh, the female medical students and the junior doctors, aside from pathology, are there other specialties which you think are better suited to, I guess, you know, being able to have a family and have kids and taking off a good amount of maternity leave? Because there are some specialties where it's really abysmal, the amount of uh, maternity leave and the amount of mm. I guess, rights you get. And it's mm. quite difficult to raise a family, which is a big, big problem. And mm. nowadays, whereas there's a lot of postgrad, postgraduate students coming out, and so they're kind of coming coming into this a little bit older, mm-hmm. and it, having a family can be a bit of a deal breaker in terms of which uh, specialty they want to go into. Mm. Yeah, look, I think um, first and foremost, you should do what you're passionate about and where your passion lies. 
Um, in terms of a specialty which I think is easier for females, I think anything that is more fixed hours, like say nine to five, is generally a lot easier. Um, specialties where working part-time is a lot more accepted. Um, so specialties, I think like pathology, um, dermatology. I'm not sure about radiology, um, but definitely surgical specialties are probably a lot harder. Just in terms of like the shift work, having to work nights. And um, I think just the sheer amount of time you have to spend actually in a hospital can be rather prohibitive, I think, to having a healthy work-life balance. Um, but that being said, like, you shouldn't let the system dictate what you want to do. 100%, yep. Uh, is there any advice that you would have wanted to have known as an intern or that you've, I guess, learned along the way that you would want to pass on? Because uh, internship in mm. particular is a very difficult year because mm. you've transitioned from, I guess, being a member of the team, which you're mostly looking on and trying to learn, to a member of the team which looks on and learns but also has to do a lot of work mm. and a lot of paperwork at that, a lot of, I guess, menial tasks, mm. um, if you want to call it that. So is there anything that can ease that transition or make your life a little bit easier? Um, I think in terms of preparing for internship, I think in your final year, spending as much time involved on the wards, just volunteering to do anything, whether it's writing discharge summaries, taking bloods, doing ABGs, shadowing your intern as much as possible. I found that really helpful for my year of internship. In terms of preparing for life after internship, in terms of picking a specialty, I think um, that's that's really hard. Um, but I think if you're not sure about what you want to do, I wouldn't I wouldn't rush into picking a specialty. I would say stay general, and if you like something, try to organize like say in your final year of medicine, organize an elective in that area or. As an intern, try and pick maybe a hospital which, which might do a rotation in an area that you're interested in trying out. Like I, I chose Austin and, Nor- and Northern purely because they gave me a forensic rotation and I could have a look at what that was like. Um, trying to do research, writing papers, um, presenting, doing case reports. Um, I would say as an intern and as a resident, those are really good, really good experience. Besides the uh, benefit of doing those and having something to write on your CV, because at the moment there's a big push for all of us to do Mm. things like that, is there other benefits to doing like your research and your presenting and whatnot uh, in Mm. terms of how it'll affect you as an intern? Um, Look, to be honest, being an intern is um, a little bit of a thankless job in that you, because you're so junior, you're quite limited in what you can do on the wards, depending on like where you've come from obviously where you've trained i would say as an intern learn to be safe um learn to pick up red flags know that sometimes your registrar your consultant may not always get everything right um don't be afraid to speak up don't be afraid to if you don't like your working conditions don't be afraid to say something about it if you're being bullied on the ward don't be afraid to say something yeah i think that's also really important too because we all, we're all intimidated by our seniors yes. because they'll be the ones giving us jobs in the future. Yeah. And you want to, you know, you want to seem like you're 
strong, confident yes. person who can deal with a lot of things. Yeah. But once again, coming back to mental health, if it's affecting you negatively, yeah. then it's really not worth it in the long run. Correct. Like, don't be don't be intimidated by your seniors because one day you will be. That will be you, and they used to be you. Yeah. One final question: Is mm. there something that you have uh, outside of medicine, like a hobby or anything, that is, uh, yeah, it quite plays a big part in your life? Yeah. Look, um, I like to dance. I unfortunately have had to give that up due to training. Uh, yeah, basically the commitments for training and study group, they don't really mix when you have like um, set, you know, dancing commitments. Um, but I find um, art, um, so I love to paint. That's quite a, you can pick it up, put it down whenever you want. Um, I find that very um, therapeutic. Um, that being said, it's really hard to maintain hobbies in the intensity of those last three years of um of study um but i would say if you can if you're lucky enough to be like say i don't know like an elite level um sports sports person and you can maintain that with your training i would say go for it like try and maintain that balance if you can not to say that you can't pick up a skill while you're doing your training but um if you have some outlet try and hang on to it so i guess for for us mortals who uh, yeah. i guess a little bit more uh find it quite yeah. difficult to manage all of that yeah how did you keep sane through <clears throat> through those three years what what outlets did you have uh so art art um i love to read um that's my downtime art and reading and my partner having a supportive partner i cannot stress how valuable that is having a supportive Especially if you, like a lot of people come into um, pathology a bit more mature age from another specialty. I think it, um, yeah, it can be a bit of a, a bit of a shock for both you and your family or your partner with the, the vigours of um, training. But having that supportive partner there is like, it's invaluable. I, I couldn't have gotten through my training without my partner. Awesome. Great. That's all the questions I had for yeah. you. Is there anything else you want to add? Ah, uh, no, that's it. Great. Thank you so much for coming. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to keep in touch with us through social media. Our handle is at the med collab. That's T-H-E-M-E-D-C-O-L-L-A-B on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our podcast for our weekly release. All right, guys. See you next week.